This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations with people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained, and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyer's Bay, Dunedin, and I am joined from Fakatani by Mawera Karatai. Kia ora, Mawera. Kia ora, Sam. How goes it? It's going very well indeed. How was the weekend? The weekend was good, and I'm very proud to tell you that in Māori we have this whakatauki, there is food at the end of my hands, right? Everybody should have heard that. And at the end of my hands are eggs from my chickens in my palatial chicken house that we've been talking about since the beginning of lockdown. So we got our first eggs. So everyone in my house is very, very happy. Are the eggs also called George? George. (laughs) Well, Jack asked me if they were going to hatch and I said no because we don't have a rooster. And he goes, oh, so we're not going to get any more Georges. I said no. (laughs) That could be George. George banana cake tonight. George looks. (laughs) We're having banana cake instead. And who are you introducing today? Today I'm introducing um, somebody who has a role in in our national community. E.B. Eden Mann, who's the National Policy Advisor for CCS Disability Action. Welcome, Phoebe. Hey, I know Phoebe. Yes, I think do. I think she's my daughter. Really? I thought you were some random stranger I met. Yeah, the one I know, her name's got a sausage in it. For the last time, my legal name does not have sausage as my middle name, despite me believing it since until I was about 12 and saw my birth certificate. <laughs> How yeah, was lockdown? How was lockdown, Phoebe? Uh, chaotic. Uh, as a disability analyst or advisor, it was pretty touch and go for parts of it, especially the first bit when you know everyone's kind of trying to figure out how on earth this is going to work. But once we kind of got into the swing of things, it was pretty all right. My work, uh, my our boss dropped us off Easter eggs which we were under strict instructions. We were not allowed to eat until, I think it was the Wednesday before Easter, and then we all had to go online and eat them together. That that was a test in self-restraint, not eating the Easter egg that I was given before I was supposed to. But no, it was good. We got a kitten two days before lockdown, so he kept us very entertained. And so you were working from home? Yes, yeah. So I work from home. I've been pretty much working from home since November. Uh, due to I had surgery and I kind of just never really went back and my boss is really amazing and you know very very accommodating so it wasn't that much of a change for me um, in terms of like my working environment except for the fact that my partner was home playing video games for five weeks in the living room that was that was a bit of a that was a bit of a uh, trial (laughs) trial by fire Um, 
but other than that, yeah, pretty much just working from home environment as usual, really, for me. So with a good eye on the disability community, how how did it go overall? Uh, obviously, I can't speak for everyone in the disability community. Um, but from what I saw, I think it can be summed up by a meme I saw. I think it was in the middle of lockdown. And it just said, so you're stuck in your home for five weeks with limited socialization options, limited transport options, and you can't really leave the house? Welcome to being a disabled person. <laughs> so I think, you know, it almost felt like people with disabilities or impairments were actually kind of almost well set up for this. You know, it wasn't that much of a change in terms of, oh, well, you can't really go anywhere. You know, because a lot of a lot of people with disabilities do have, you know, significant mobility and transport issues. So they are kind of often stuck at home, not really having that socialization. So it, it, it was definitely, definitely a struggle for a lot of us, um, you know, with in terms of people not being able to have their support workers there, not being able to go out and do all the community events that are actually really important. But I think it almost felt like we were kind of more set up to deal with it than a lot of people who this wasn't anywhere near their normal. One of your roles is looking at things that the government does, proposed mm-hmm. legislation and so on, and looking for um, looking for impacts for the um, disabled community. Did, did that happen during the, the lockdown? Yes, more so. <laughs> it was quite... It was a very odd time to work in policy um, because policies were changing on a daily, if not hourly basis. You know, they had, and and in the government's defence, they had, what, we went into level three and then it was, was it 48 hours later we went into lockdown or like a really small time frame to basically try to get all of these really quite restrictive and very much needed policies into place. And, you know, if you're writing something within 48 hours, of course there's going to be big problems. Um, you know, it, not intentional problems, but when you're writing something in 48 hours, it's always going to be a bit like, oh, for God's sake. So trying to work through that those kind of policies was quite quite complex and quite tricky. Uh, it was also, we, I personally struggled a lot with, there not really being the consultation periods or even consultation at all. Um, normally when we submit on, you know, a piece of legislation or, or something, it's gone, it's a long drawn out process. It goes through, so it goes through Parliament, Parliament then votes on it. Uh, it gets drafted up, goes to select committee, they do more work on it and then, you know, then public consultation happens. And so, and that consultation period is usually probably about a month to two months whereas a lot of the things and a lot of the legislations and policies that went through during lockdown didn't really have much of a consultation period at all just given how fast things had to go and how the situation was changing day by day so I think I personally really struggled with that just because it was such a break from uh, the normal um, you know, at my normal daily job. Um, and also everything else got put on hold as well. So they had, I know we had other pieces of legislation which were due to go through 
and then COVID happened and then they all kind of got put on hold. So it was all these things that we were kind of going, okay, cool. You know, this is happening, this is happening, this is happening. These are all going to be really fantastic things for the disability community. And then they didn't really happen. And as I, I understand why they didn't happen, but that was quite tricky to try and navigate that. I'm going to stop you there and play the first of your music selections, which is Queen's Don't Stop Me Now. Tonight I'm gonna have myself a real good time I feel alive support workers deemed to be essential workers? Um, yes, sort of. It was it was quite complicated. Uh, you know, I know 
from our end we had you know three originally like three lists of the people we supported who was like a red list of people who needed uh support to do like personal care so like showering and toileting and all that kind of jazz and then there were people who needed like help cooking so you know that would be like once a week or twice a week or so and then there was the green list and I might have gotten these colors wrong but I think there was a red and green and a yellow list I think um of people who we would basically just keep in touch with over the phone and do support work that way and so it was kind of the people who you know rely on support workers I think it was a really tricky time for them because their support workers you know weren't really allowed to go and do what they needed to do and what they're used to having that support there but suddenly they it wasn't possible and you know there were issues with things like PPE and this I know this was the same across the entire disability sector um you know was issues with PPE and uh supporting people especially because a lot of the people we support have compromised immune systems so you know they they need we can't really send support workers in if we don't have that extra layer of protection there but we can't send support workers in if we don't have the protection there in the first place. So that was something that I know that across the sector we really struggled with. And that was complicated a bit by the independent living arrangement. Oh, yes, yes, the individualised funding. Yes, that was complicated by that as well. Um, we had – so basically the, the deal with individualised funding is that the disabled person gets – the money and then they can spend it on their support how they however they deem fit so you know essentially the disabled person is the employer which means in terms of lockdown they then had to supply PPE which was an additional complication on top of that because where on earth are you suddenly supposed to get you know like a month's supply of PPE when you have you know, masks and masks and uh, gloves and everything being sold at the supermarket for like $300 for a packet of 50. And the funding's just not that high. It just got, yeah, there were definitely some quite significant issues that we came up against during during lockdown. But as with most things, we kind of just had to work our way through them and figure out, all right, this is what we need to do in order to make sure that we're actually meeting the needs of the disability community in New Zealand. The government put out a, um, not really a warning, I don't know how to describe what they said the other day, it was just a be vigilant, be prepared sort of heads up, we're expecting COVID to go back into the community. Oh um, yeah, the, um, the, the, it's, it's a not a if, it's a when. That's the one. Yeah, yeah. And so yeah. it prompted me to buy, buy a box of masks, and I already had gloves, but it prompted me to buy a box of, glo- of masks, which I had never done. But, mm-hmm. I don't know, for some reason it just it bothered me. Yeah. Is, is, that the, is the disability community preparing itself for that? Like if, if, if our disabled people who are homebound have to be mm-hmm. able to provide PPE, have they now got the supplies of PPE to provide? I don't know is <laughs> the honest answer that, to that question. I hope the answer is yes, but realistically, I just I don't know. I know, so I have um, a, a host of autoimmune uh, conditions, which basically 
result in me having a disability. And I know that yesterday when they started talking about, um, you know, everyone basically needs to have a stash of masks in the house and I'm kind of looking around in the, in the cupboard and going, okay, cool, we've only got three of them and they're single use. Ha, huh. okay. So I went on online yesterday and found it was like a packet of six multi-use ones. And, and it's a quite a cool initiative as well because it's a buy one, give one kind of situation. So they're also giving them to, uh, it's through Anna Stretton, I think, and they're basically giving out the, the masks free to things like aged care and, you know, Plunkett and things like that. So that was kind of a, you know, a win-win. Yay, we've got six reusable, washable masks and double yay, they're also giving giving them to places that actually definitely, definitely need them. But it was quite, when I was watching telly last night, it had been quite a while since, you know, you had the big, uh, the big COVID, the COVID ads with the, the yellow and white and the scary beeping noise. And, and it was like, this is a COVID-19 announcement. And I kind of just went, oh, please tell me you're not about to tell us we've got community transmission. Just because it was so long since I'd actually seen one of those ads and then it just went, this is a reminder, we're in level one. I'm like, oh, my God. And it almost feels like New Zealand has kind of got complacent because it's been so long since we've had community transmission that the minute I saw that ad, my heart just went, okay, we're back in it, righto. And, you know, so I think it's it's definitely something that we've got to um, be vigilant of and, you know, across the sector and across every sector is stuff or, you know, continue figuring out how on earth are we going to manage if we have to do this again? Bubble Sprite of the Forest of Orokunui, Dunedin's favourite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie. Kia ora koutou, nā mihi aroha nui, kia koutou, kutahua. I hope you're all having the best day, beautiful superstars in your beloved universes. And I really hope that whatever is happening around you, and wherever you are, that this time we're all enjoying together it's proving to be very rewarding very exciting very nourishing and illuminating for you more and more each day who you are the triumph of nature's art perfect unique and here making things better thank you so I've had a wonderful day today, so I'm very excited to tell you about it. So thank you very much for having me. I had a lovely time with Sam and Leslie today. We went out for a coffee. And of course, everybody has been so wonderful and so supportive to me in my recuperation phase. And it's very interesting for me, of course, being a woman of great action and really enjoying doing things all the time to have this opportunity to really dive and delve into the realm of recuperation and how we conceptualize that and how that's going to work best for me. So it's been really lovely having time with dear friends like Sam and Leslie and all these other lovely friends who have had the opportunity, of course, to come forward in a nurturing role towards me. And it's been lovely for me. I love being very nurturing to all my dear friends so it's been so nice to have that reciprocated and it's been quite unexpected and quite surprising for me so it's been really really nice so so far in my recuperation plan I've got lots of beautiful wool which has arrived from gorgeous gore 
and it's very beautiful and it's self-patterning wool so I can happily make lots of socks which will be really nice. I also in my recuperation plan have obviously a lot of projects in my life like the album of my band Tahu and the Takahes and caring for all the beautiful whānau here in the Womansion, the Hei Hei, the kittens, Harvey Penfold, our bird feeder business. So there are many aspects of my life that can form part of the recuperation plan just by being part of my life. And I have enjoyed going up to Oamaru and delivering more bird feeder parts to Top Flight, who we're partnering with, because all I had to do was just sit in the car and knit. And oh, Harvey Penfold and I had a lovely time, and we decided to go to this big castle, Riverstone Castle, and stay there, which will be very exciting. But you can tell that even just this time of recuperation has been very action-packed so far. So it's been very interesting for me, obviously, reintegrating with consensus reality, having had this really transcendental experience with these mystery fevers. And I think these liminal states, these states of transition and these states from moving from one one realm to another, one world to another, one state of being to another are just so fascinating. And of course for me my work at Orokanoi is really linked with this when we move into the sanctuary. There's so many levels to it. And I'm going to really work through my recuperation in this way. And of course societally we've been moving through a collective recuperation we are moving through a collective recuperation where we're thinking about how do we want things to be now that we are in recovery how can we do things in a supportive way sustainably for ourselves and each other and what things do we want to let go of what things do we want to bring with us so my own individual journey, of course, as always, is echoing the, the collective journey and the societal journey that we're all on. But I am just so grateful for everyone's support and, of course, the amazing support of all the essential workers at Dunedin Hospital that I'm able to be free and I'm able to recuperate at home. And I'm really enjoying exploring this process and getting the balance right. So thank you for your time with me and I'll look forward to talking to you tomorrow. Thanks so much. Kakite. During lockdown, you're also working on getting out a resource. What was that? It was. So it's a resource on shared decision-making with disabled children and young people. And we were very, very, very lucky to receive funding through the IHC Foundation to fully bankroll the entire thing. Um, it was very much a labour of love. It, I think I was quite um, naively optimistic with how long it would take to actually get from point A to point B, point B being the actual publishing and you know distribution of, of the resource. It took quite a lot longer than I originally said it would. Um, but basically, it's a resource which aims to guide practitioners and equip them with skills and techniques when it comes to uh, shared decision-making with disabled children and young people. So, you know, it's looking at how do we ensure that we are actually meeting the needs of disabled children and young people 
and how do we make sure that they are participating in what's going on? How do we make sure that they actually know and consent to whatever decisions are being made that affect them? Because a lot of the time we hear that children and young people in general don't really have a you know significant voice, which is a problem in itself. But then that problem doubles when you start looking at disabled children and young people. And a lot of that's to do with people not really understanding how how to actually go about working with disabled children and young people. And a lot of that's to do with, you know, inexperience, but also quite a lot of it's embarrassment as well because they don't really want to ask and seem like they're being insensitive when they go, I actually don't know what I'm doing. Can you help me? And so there's a, you know, quite a significant embarrassment and shame aspect to that, which is, you know, what part of this resource is trying to work through is going, it's not a problem for you to be embarrassed and not have a clue of where where to start. It's Mm. a problem that you don't do it. Mm. So that's what we're trying to do with, or that's what I'm trying to do with this. And I I took, I started wanting to write it when I started thinking about my own experiences as a child. and. Dad probably, I think you were there for this, Dad, at that appointment with my slightly wonky kidneys. And I got very cross because I would have been about six years old and the specialist didn't really look or talk to me at all throughout this appointment and kind of only talked to mum and dad. And I remember sitting there going, but hey, hang on, it's my kidneys. Like, And so that's, you know, one one of the driving forces and I vividly remember that day kind of going but it's my kidneys and you know and so having that as like a formative memory when I started looking at uh basically started becoming more interested in in the child and young person's kind of side of the sector I kind of went actually even I had this you know, this is this is something that even I experienced. And I had parents who were above and beyond. And Dad, I'm just I'm just uh trying to elevate your ego a bit here. You're welcome. <laughs> and but you know, like Dad, you drew you drew pictures for me. And so I knew where my I mean they were terrible pictures, but you drew pictures about like what my kidneys looked like. So I knew what you know, so I knew kind of where they were, what they kind of did, and you know, and so it was things like that. And I think God, I was so lucky to have that support system that I did have. But a lot of disabled kids and young people don't have that. And they've never had that. And that really holds them back. Research actually is showing that if you practice something as a child in terms of pretty much anything, but if we're looking at shared decision making, if you practice something as a child, so you know that if you speak, adults will listen to you, that you actually do have a right to voice your opinion and say, you know, I don't want to do this or I do want to do this, you know, X, Y, Z. If you practice that as a child and you're given the support to explore those options, then as an adult, you are far more likely to be able to effectively advocate for yourself. And, you know, and that's one of the one of the big things is that as an adult now, I'm very good at advocating for other people but I'm also pretty good at advocating for myself in medical situations, well, pretty much most situations, really, but especially in medical situations where, you know, most of my medical team are amazing, you know, truly, truly 
spectacularly empathetic human beings. And then you occasionally come across some individuals who are really not good and try and push you and just, you know, are just really dismissive. And you kind of, you know, you sit there and go, yeah, no, not today. Mm -mm, Not today. But I think that's because I had those opportunities and and the support to learn that as a young person. And so what I'm trying to do with the resource is to make sure that when by supporting children and young people, disabled children and young people at their, you know, whatever level they're at, I'm hoping that we're actually able to equip them with the skills and the knowledge and the the belief that they can do things and they can advocate for themselves so that in when they're adults or, you know, older young people, that they're not completely steamrolled by whoever. And so that's what I'm really trying to do with this resource. But the resource is targeted not towards children. The resource is targeted towards practitioners. So I've turned practitioners as anyone um, as anyone who works pretty much in any capacity with disabled children and young people. Um, because if the practitioners, you know, start supporting, you know, self, uh, self-determination and shared decision-making practices, then that you know, equips the ch- the child or young person with them. So that's pretty much where I'm trying to go with with the resource. Um, so we've finally got the resource published and our communications team, I cannot thank them enough for taking what was an absolute chaotic word document and making it into a snazzy, actually looking like a proper resource thing. And I, I still don't know how... Lucy and Melissa did it, but they did. And, you know, so I'm takes, yeah, that's pretty much what I did in lockdown was work on the final steps of the resource. And then it was released, I think about week three, I think, or week four. It all kind of blurred into one, one big, very long week. Talking about mm-hmm. advocating for yourself, let's have Rebel Rebel. Yes.
Phoebe, how how have you how do you think that um, disabled people who fuck up Māori cope, um, especially in these sort of times where everything's just a bit tricky to you know get communication and and there's a lot of misunderstanding and gosh, there's a lot of yeah weird weird information out and especially out in uh, social media at the moment. So. And you're talking about this resource and empowering people, and that makes me think of think of mana motuhaki, which is our ability to to control who we are and, and where we fit. So, how do you think that disabled Maori cope? And specifically in terms of lockdown or in general? Well, I think both. Is and and maybe now we've come out of lockdown, but we're still in this time of really uncertain information, and there's a lot of mistrust from Maori to the um, to the medical world mm-hmm. um so yeah what how do you guys deal with that so i'll prefix this uh my answers to this with i'm not maori i'm pakiha and i think it is extremely important in the uh, in general that we if you're pakiha or pretty much any other ethnicity other than maori that it's actually our responsibility to sit back and listen that it's the that's the first step that we should be doing. When you look, and I don't have the specific statistics in front of me. I wish I did because they're pretty horrifying statistics. I know that statistically, Māori and Pacifica people have lower, they have lower rates of the disability allowance and disability support. And we think that's due to uh, Pākehā people being basically being able to advocate for themselves better well not necessarily better but they're more they're able to more effectively engage with this with the system which is not designed at all to do with any Māori uh, cultural practices it's not you know they they say it is it's not um, and it's, it's really not and I we so that's what we think has caused the one of the main causes of the disparity in terms of financial support uh, with basically that people can engage more effectively, which is horrendous. That should never be the case, especially when you look at the health outcomes for Māori people. And there was a really interesting survey um, a few years ago that was looking at uh, how disability or how disabled people, basically they were were asked to rank um, the overall life satisfaction that had all these different questions. You know, it was like rank your experience with with uh, healthcare professionals and how do you rate your health from like one being poor and ten being excellent. And when you look at the statistics, people who weren't disabled tend to, tended to rank their health and their overall life satisfaction as being generally pretty good. And then when you look at the people or the disabled people who answered the questions yeah most of them were kind of like yeah it's it's all right there's definitely some some significant issues we've got going on but then when you break that down even more into ethnicity you just look at the answers that the that uh disabled maori give and you just go these are the most heartbreaking statistics i've ever seen and oh my god and you know and that's it's really really hard to try and work through that kind of stuff and I just don't think um, we're definitely not doing enough. Is but 
I think in terms of our my, my organisation specifically and across the board as well, we're aware of that. And we spent uh, my branch, so I'm based in um, the... So I'm based in the national office, but I work out of the Otago branch. And we spent last year, late last year, we went on a trip to the Marae out at uh, Muraki. And that was amazing, you know, having, and we just sat and listened. And that was the, the be, one of the best days I've had at work so far. And I've been there for three years, I think going on three years. And that was the best thing, you know, just actually having the opportunity to be surrounded by that and just sit and listen. And so I think that's it's a really complicated issue, but there are definitely some good things that are that are coming. The uh what is it called? The Health and Disability System Review, the final report for that came out uh, about a month, I think it was about a month ago. And there are definitely some significant issues with the health and disability report in terms of how they're dealing with disability but we'll just ignore we'll just ignore the the car crash bit for a minute because one of the really good things to come out of that is that they're setting or they've recommended that the ministry of health set up a separate maori health commission so it's you know it's things like that that you know they're all such a long time coming and there's so much there's so many things that need to be done that should have been done years ago and haven't been. But the, I think we're slowly, very slowly getting there, sort of. But I think the biggest thing that we need to do is sit back and listen. You know, when they're talking about survival from COVID and, and reporting the death yeah. rates, quite often you hear them say 10 people died, um, and that, but eight of them had a pre-existing oh, yeah. condition. Oh, yeah, it's real good, right? Mm. And it, and a big chunk of those pre-existing conditions will be from the um, disability community. Is there, oh, is, yeah. there a, is there a sense of while, while you know, the, as the most vulnerable in society are benefiting from the, the, the shutdown and the, the collective care for, for everyone, there's just still yeah. this inkling of a sacrificial... Well, we could open up oh, and, and a few people would die, but, they'd, they, but they would have pre-existing conditions... So their life was crap anyway. Yeah. I'm not allowed to swear on the radio, but there's definitely some things I would like you to just say did. to those people. Yeah. I did not. I said, am I not allowed to say crap? Well, you just did. Now you said it again. There are definitely some things that some people say that are, as much as you try and ignore it, it does hurt. Because at the end of the day, that's an inherent value judgment on who we are as people. And it's that value judgment of someone going, oh, yeah, but it's just, you know, it's COVID. It's fine. It, the only people that will kill or have will have serious uh, long-term effects of it, well, one of, they've got MS or they've got cancer or they've got muscular dystrophy, you know, the list goes on and on. And it's kind of like it feels like they're saying, oh, yeah, but the rest of us will be fine. So what? who cares about that lot? They were stuffed anyway. And it, you know, you, you try your best to kind of ignore it because that comes up you, that comes up a lot anyway without COVID. You know, COVID aside, we get that a lot. But in the last, like, how long has COVID been going? Like five months? That's gotten really bad. 
and especially now that kind of we've opened up the country and even though our borders are still shut, you know, you have all these people going, open the borders, let's have a Tasman bubble, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, and then they go, when when they are kind of called out on that, they're like, uh-huh, and you're putting all the elderly people and all the people with pre-existing conditions and also healthy people who get it and die within a week because it just takes some people out. You know, you call them out on that and then they just go, oh, but it's, but it's just then that it's just fine. And that's just not okay because that's an inherent value judgment. You know, it's that judgment that we're not worth, that we're not, our lives and protecting our lives are not worth the economic kind of fallout is probably the best word for it. But also when you point out to people when they go, oh, it's just that, it's just the elderly and the immunocompromised that will, you know, that will die. And then you point out to them and go, how is your gran again? And that's when they start going, oh, well, yeah, well, we're protecting gran. It's like, and what about everyone else's gram? And what about everyone else's kids that have cystic fibrosis? And it's, you know, when you start kind of challenging, challenging those statements and challenging those ideas, I think for the most part, people are pretty receptive to it because they just haven't, they haven't thought it through. They haven't been challenged on it. Okay. I have some questions to end with and we're almost out of time. So we'll have to be quick. Yes. Of all the changes you've seen in the last few months, societal changes, what do you hope will stick? Be kind. What's the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years? The resource, probably, and also conning my partner into getting us a cat. He's not a cat person, but he is now. So we're writing a book of these conversations. It's called Tomorrow's Heroes, the co- mm-hmm. our collection of people doing good work. So you're on our team. What's the superpower that's got you into the mansion? Mm. Is arguing a good superpower? Yeah. I'm pretty I'm I'm pretty good at arguing with people. That and drinking a lot of tea. There's and gotta se- be some use for that superpower. And setting fire to televisions. It was one time. Do you consider yourself to be an activist? Yes. What for? Uh, a multitude of things. Pro, it used to be, I used to be um, kind of more involved in the ecological, climate changey kind of aspects. Um, but now it's very much a disability, social justice. This is where I've really found my niche, and I think it's because not only, I mean, I love arguing. And I love advocating with people. And more importantly, I love advocating with people. Um, but I get to advocate for me and I get paid to do it, which is the best part about my job. What motivates you? The desire to make things better pretty much for as many people as I can because there's a lot of unfairness and there's a lot of sadness and just massive injustices in the world and if i can make even a few of them better even by a smidgen that's a pretty good motivating reason for me what challenge are you looking forward to in the next year or so uh 
Well, I started my master's in lockdown. So writing the second part of my master's, I'm simultaneously dreading it and looking forward to it. But also I'm really looking forward to expanding out the resource that that I've written and, you know, trying to build it into a more solid platform rather than just a standalone resource. And lastly, I'm do you not, have... I'm not looking forward to the to the funding applications of that, though. Do you have any advice for our listeners? I feel like I'm parroting Jacinda Ardern here, but be kind is still the best the best way. The best thing I can really come up with is just be kind to one another. It's a bad enough world. Of, it's a bad enough world already out there. We don't need to make it worse by being awful. Mawera. Um, I was just thinking how cool it is that Phoebe listens. Thank you for listening, Phoebe. We need more people to listen and then turn those, what they learn from listening into action rather than taking action and then maybe one day listening. Thank you for doing it the right way around. You get a choice of what we're going out to. I see red. Yep. Your Uncle Marcus's chocolate song or spider in the bath (laughs) or the the Pingu theme or the Charlie Chalk theme. Oh my god! Can we go out to the Charlie Chalk theme? Let's I know try that. all the words. <laughs> I know all the words, <laughs> and no one else has ever heard of Charlie Chalk. It's just me, and I feel like it's almost like almost a hallucination from my childhood. But I've googled it. It's a real thing. I didn't imagine it. <laughs> it's an actual thing. Charlie Chalk. Charlie Chalk. Charlie Chalk. He can get you out of trouble, he can teach you how to juggle, that's Charlie Chalk. Yeah, Charlie Chalk. He rode a boat to sea to do some sleeping and some fishing. When he awoke, he saw an island, was he breathing on? Walking in a wacky way of chalking, 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 It's the best thing. I like that you also gave me the, op- the option of Pingu. We got Pingu before anyone else did because it was Judy sent us Pingu. the videos early. And she knitted me Pingu, which then you convinced me was real Pingu because you videoed him and did stop start, and I thought Pingu was real. <laughs> I was very upset when I discovered Pingu wasn't real. You've got childhood trauma. Oh, you want to hear childhood trauma? <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. Okay, so the worst thing Dad has ever done, ever, in the history Worse of... Worse than a sausage thing. Yes, yes, yes. What he did, we were in terrace by the, by the river, picking up rocks and, like, skimming them across the river, and that was all fine, and I should also say I'm terrified of spiders... And I picked up this rock, and what can only be described as the largest spiders ever known to man. Dad backed me up. These things were huge. They were huge. They like, were like even like like a fifties like that big. Yeah, no, really? Dad, that's not wrong, is it? Mm-hmm. Like that's yeah, they're that's huge. Those spiders. Long. Yeah. Like they were enormous. And anyway, so I book it towards the water because I'm like. 
spiders can't swim. They can't find me in here. They followed me in, in my mind. Turns out water, it turns out they're just water spiders. Um, and they also went, ha-ha, the person won't follow me in. And they had egg sacs on the back of them as well, which just made it even worse because then they were breeding. And so anyway, I then scream my way out of the water because I'm like, the, the spiders have followed me in. I'm going to die. Sit by the car, refuse to go anywhere near the rocks, anywhere near the water. I'm going, I'm sitting here until we are going home. I finally calmed myself down after, and I would have been, what, Dad, eight? ish mm-hmm. eight or nine dad then thought it was funny to sneak up behind me with a willow branch and run it up my back <gasps> i ran yeah. home and togs no shoes screaming oh that's mean thank you thank you i will get over a lot of stuff that's the one thing I will never get out. And Dad still thinks it's funny. He still <laughs> thinks it's funny. It's not. It was the most traumatizing aspect of my childhood. <laughs> no, no, he thinks he's funny and he's not. The, I'm sorry um, about that. For you. The final, the final page you. of Harry Potter was pretty good too. Did you make up me. the final page? No, Dad turned to the back of it and said, and then he woke up. <gasps> Oh, that's hilarious. He's not funny. He is. <laughs> that was <He's> not. <laughs> Here I am. Is anyone about? I'm down beside the plug hole and I can't get out. I've been here an hour and a half. Can anybody help a little spider in the bath? I woke up feeling hungry in the middle of the night. I saw a moth and thought now that would make a tasty bite. So I chased it up the mirror and along the windowsill and around behind the dental floss and then I slipped and fell. Is anyone about? I'm down beside the plug hole and I can't get out. I've been here an hour and a half. Can anybody help a little spider in the bath? The sides are very slippery because the bath has just been cleaned. Everything is cold and wet and avocado green. There's a long lumpy loofah and some pumice in a dish. And all I have to talk to is a purple plastic fish. And here I am. Is anyone about? I'm down beside the plug hole and I can't get Little spider in the bath There's no need to be frightened I won't do you any harm 
Just take me to the garden where it's nice and safe and warm. Then gently put me down, and I'll run back home to my mother. One leg after the other, 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 after the other. Inside the plug hole, and I can't get out. I've been here an hour and a half. Can anybody help a little spider in the bath? Can anybody help a little spider in the bath? Can't anybody help a little spider in the bath? I'm down here by the plug hole. You've been listening to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, in their safe spaces around the world. Brought to you by the Sustainable Lens Team, which is brought to you by Otago Polytechnic. We broadcast on Otago Access Radio every weekday afternoon at 3 and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz. You can find us on Facebook and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We had a contribution today from Tahu McKenzie. I'm Samuel Man and Soyuz Dunedin with Nawira Karatai in Fokatani and in Helensburg Dunedin, Phoebe Eden Man. We hope you enjoyed the show. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand on the air. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand on the air. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand on the air.